You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Daniel. Uh, Our text today is Daniel chapter 7. Because of time, we're not going to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. We're going to read the first 14 verses. But if you have your Bible, please keep them open because I'm going to refer to the second half of Daniel's 7, which we won't read. And uh, it would be helpful for you to have that open uh, if you have your Bible. If you don't, uh, the, the, the text, 7, 1 through 14, is printed in your worship bulletin. This is God's word. Daniel 7, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out, came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking and as I looked, the beast was killed. Its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit today, would you show us what you would have us know from this mysterious night vision of your servant Daniel. Drive it into our heads and our hearts that we may uh, delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your name. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been with us here for any part of Daniel chapters 1 through 6, uh, you know as we come then to Daniel 7 through 12 that we are, in the words of Dorothy uh, in, uh, from the Wizard of Oz, not in Kansas anymore, right? Uh, we, uh, we've shifted into a whole new way of communicating, right? We've gone from straightforward historical narrative in chapters one through six, and we've, we're shifting now uh, to what theologians call biblical apocalyptic, okay? Uh, the difference is like reading a news article in the San Diego Tribune, and on the one hand, and observing an impressionist painting on the other, right? Both communicate truth, right? But very differently. The, the news article gives, uh, is, is straightforward reporting. It gives uh, facts about uh, uh, the events and timing and people. Uh, the impressionist painting, of course, fuzzes out the details, uh, but nevertheless communicates truth in a, in a, in a powerful and beautiful way about the, the subject matter uh, of the painting and and the painting also the impressionist painting also has the power doesn't it to to sort of communicate a feel to communicate a mood to you 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 can come feel uh, a painting has an emotional power right um, and, and uh, that that's the difference between you know historical narrative, which is pretty much, you know, as I said, sort of a straightforward reporting of facts versus these visions, this, uh, the biblical ap apocalyptic, which communicates truth, but in a way allows us to feel it, right? To, to, uh, to experience it in a different way. Uh, let me define biblical apocalyptic for you because the, the definition is, is helpful. Um, Put it this way, it's a demonstration ahead of time, right, of the end of the political powers of this world. Okay, demonstration ahead of time of the end of the political kingdoms, political powers of this world, and at the same time, their replacement by the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Apocalyptic, biblical apocalyptic is not, is not just about the end of the po political regimes as we know them, but their replacement by God's kingdom. And this demonstration is given to us, uh, as you have heard, in mysterious symbols and images with, with one overriding purpose. And that overriding purpose is the comforting and the exhorting of the faithful. Now, understand that. Really get 
to, to get that in your head, that the purpose here is to comfort and exhort you as you trust in Jesus Christ faced by opposing political regimes, okay? Now, given that that's what apocalyptic is, I just, I, I'm, I'm warning you because some of you might be disappointed. You came today to hear Daniel 7, to hear, hear Ted give you the specific details about you know, the, the specific identity of these beasts, when they're going to show up, who this little horn is, when is Jesus coming back? What's the specific order of all, all these events? Uh, what are the details? Friends, Daniel 7 through 12 was not written to give us that information. It was written for the purpose to comfort and exhort you with truth about the future. But, but we don't, you know, we don't break it down and analyze it like we might historical narrative. Uh, it's not given for that purpose. Just like we don't, you know, observe every uh, brush stroke of an impressionist painting, we try to, we, we look at it as a whole and try to get, the, get the, the sense of the truth of the subject matter from the painting, the whole painting. Listen, it's only in the prosperous West, like us, prosperous, relatively peaceful first world country like the United States where we can sit around and improperly use Daniel. Right and sit there and take these visions and speculate about details of the future, which is it's a it's a misuse of Daniel. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are under the boot of oppressive political regimes today, starving, facing war, you know, like we see in Ukraine, they know how to read Daniel. Because they are looking for hope. They're looking for comfort, right? For, 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 for an exhortation, an encouragement that can, comes from what Daniel reveals about the future here in this apocalyptic. And that's, that's what we're going to get to today. That's the purpose of us going through Daniel 7, to, to be comforted and exhorted as, as Jesus' people in the face of our own hostile opposition and circumstances, okay? We're going to unpack this under three headings, okay? Uh, but before I lay out those headings, let me just drop you to the bottom line. I'll give you the bottom line in advance. Uh, so if you don't, uh, you know, I don't, we might get lost in all the detail. I don't, want, I don't want you to get lost in the detail and miss the point. And here's the, here's the bottom line point. Human power, especially as it is concentrated in the state, right, is, is opposed to Christ powerfully, persistently and apparently in a prevailing way. But although evil human political power often seems to have the upper hand, don't believe it. 
God is in control. God ultimately prevails over all human political powers and because he does, so do his people. You. Now some of you are saying, well, wasn't, that sounds pretty close to the, what we've been learning from Daniel 1 through 6. Right! I mean, that's pretty much the consistent message of the entire book of Daniel. What we're doing now, though, is getting it in a different package. It's being communicated to us in a different way. And, and we're not now looking back to what God did in history. We're looking forward into the future about in what God will do. And the lesson is still the same. God wins. And because God wins, his people win. Okay. We will be vindicated. Here are the three headings. First, human political power. Second, divine kingdom power. Okay? And then third, victorious resurrection power. Okay? That's where we're going. Human political power, divine kingdom power. Third, victorious resurrection power. Okay, first, human political power. Where is it represented here in Daniel 7? In the four beasts. We know that from verse 17, which we didn't read. Uh, verse 17 says uh, that the four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Now, some of your translations may say kingdoms. Um, the, it's kings or kingdoms, they're, they're inseparable, right? You can't have a kingdom without a kingdom. King without a kingdom, you, you can't have a kingdom without a king. So uh, it's, um, it's four great, the four great beasts are, are, are kingdoms and their leaders uh, that arise out of the earth. Now they actually arise out of the sea, don't they, right? Verse two, and in the Bible, the sea is consistently uh, it represents the place of chaos, of terror, of darkness, death, disorder. Uh, all the forces that sort of are, are, are opposed to God. It's out of that that, that these uh, beasts, these political regimes uh, arise. Uh, four of them, right? Now, the first beast is... Is, is really the one where there is most scholarly agreement. Um, the, 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 the first piece is that one that looks like a lion. It's got eagle's wings, and then those eagle's wings are plucked off, and it's lifted from the ground, and, and it's made to stand on two feet like a man, and, it's, and a mind of man was given to it. Now, if you were here, if you've been with us through Daniel, that ought to be ringing some bells, right? Doesn't that sound a lot like the experience of Nebuchadnezzar? Right? Nebuchadnezzar, who, who uh, lost his mind in judgment, right, was, and, and lived like a beast and was on all fours uh, out there eating grass and, and his hair grew long and it looked like eagle's feathers. Uh, but then uh, he was uh, restored, right? And he stood up again and his, and his sanity returned to him. Uh, this looks like, and, and most most scholars agree that this first beast must represent the Babylonian Empire. All right. 
because of those parallels with Nebuchadnezzar. But beyond that, the other three beasts, uh, the ravenous bear, right, with the with ribs of its last victim still sticking out of its mouth, uh, the, the four-headed leopard with the wings, and the uh, finally the, 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 the worst one, the, the most terror, terror-filled one, the, the devouring iron-toothed ten-horned beast, that it's, you know, those aren't so easily identified with a specific kingdom. Uh, once you get beyond the lion, uh, the, the opinions start scattering. And, and there is no universal agreement as to what these uh, beasts uh, represent traditionally. And I would say, you know, the, the, the traditional interpretation, the one you'll hear most often, is that the lion is Babylon. Uh, okay, we're all in agreement there. The, the, uh, but then in order, the, um, the bear is the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, the, the leopard is the Greek Empire. And, and finally, the beast, the iron-toothed beast, is the Roman Empire. Now I, you know, I don't doubt that that those regimes can be. Uh, you, you you can make a case that you know the qualities of these animals match some of the qualities of those empires, but not necessarily. I mean, you could, I, you know, I'm not. It, it's it's not a, a perfect one to one match, and I. And I, I have the real problems with identifying each of those beasts with specific past political regimes. It, it, for one reason, is that be, the, those empires, none of them exist anymore, and we're told that these beasts aren't destroyed until the final judgment, when, 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 when Christ returns. Uh, so, what, they don't, you know, these political regimes don't exist anymore? No, of course not, they, they, they do. It's also inconsistent with another biblical apocalyptic and that's the book of revelation right john's vision recorded in the book of revelation that's also apocalyptic and and in revelation 13 john also sees a beast one beast also arising out of the sea and what's interesting is that that beast is a combination of all four of daniel's beasts they're all there in, in one consolidated beast. And it's clear from Revelation that that beast, which includes all four, continues until the final judgment and continues to uh, be a threat to believers until the final judgment when Christ returns. So if you identify the last beast with the Roman Empire, right, where, where, where are we? Um, and it, so it's not really in line with our historical experience, is it? I mean, since Rome ended, uh, we have seen nations for centuries come and go, which have been uh, hostile to the Christian faith, and it continues down to this day. Right? Consider Russia, consider China, consider North Korea. I'm inclined to agree then with the theologians like Tremper Longman and others who consider four to be a symbolic number and and numbers in in apocalyptic numbers take on uh, 
symbolic importance. Four uh, is sort of a, a symbolic number representing an unspecified number of evil kingdoms. Uh, we see four, uh, but, but they really represent uh, an, a, a string, a series of, of evil political regimes that will rise and succeed one another from Daniel's time, right, all the way up until the climax of history with the return of Jesus. We face these beasts today. Now, in a, the, the, the fourth beast gets unpacked more in the second half of Daniel 7. Um, and, and Daniel is concerned about this fourth beast. This, it really scared him. And, and so he asks this angelic interpreter, you know, what, tell me about this fourth beast. What's the deal with the horns? Uh, and what about this 11th horn, this the little, little horn with eyes like a man and a big mouth uh, that, that talks a lot? Um, it's speaking great things. It's, the idea is that it's speaking boastfully. It's speaking arrogantly. Um, well, the way that little horn is described in the second part of Daniel chapter 7 su- suggests that this little horn m- might very well be the, the, the person that Paul talks about in, in Thessalonians that Paul calls the man of lawlessness. Uh, we sometimes refer to him as the Antichrist. Now, John makes it clear uh, it, it, that, that there are an un, you know, an, any number of Antichrists, right? But there does seem to be a kind of climactic Antichrist figure, a specific powerful uh, political leader that is, uh, stands against Jesus, stands against Jesus' people, stands against the church. Um, and, and that's what Daniel sees here. Uh, and, and he sees, it, he says, it says, he sees the little horn make war against the saints and, listen to this, prevail over them. Verse 21. says in verse 25 that this little horn will, quote, wear out the saints of the Most High. Um, and the saints will be given into his hand for a season and a time. Right. That's pretty scary stuff, right? The, 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 the point that, that's being made here is that... Um, we are going to be seriously opposed uh, by uh, evil political regimes uh, and that, that is, that's the normal experience for Christians. It's very easy for, for, for Christians in, in the United States who by grace have, have, have had a, a measure of freedom and, and, and respect because of our commitment to Jesus uh, that, my friends, is an exception, not the rule. Uh, and, and it's changing. Right? The, it, it, the, the, the normal for Christians is to be opposed, maligned, misrepresented, marginalized, and persecuted by political power. 
And don't kid yourself because of our our brief historic experience here that, 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 that the political powers of the world, including our own, are going to roll out the red carpet for Christians. The trajectory is clearly the other way, right? To follow Jesus yesterday, to follow Jesus today, to follow Jesus tomorrow and until he returns is going to involve suffering and dying at the hands of evil political power. That's not a new message, right? We uh, just last uh, year went through the book of 1 Peter and, that, and that's the, that was the message of Peter. Don't be surprised when you suffer. This is what happens. And he's just echoing Jesus, right? If the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Blessed are you when, you when you are persecuted, not if you are persecuted, when you are persecuted for his name. And it's going to look, friends, a lot like we've been beaten, we've been defeated. And, we, and I, I say that because it's, it's really the flip side of what is said here in the second half of Daniel 7 where, where uh, the, 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 the horn is going to prevail over the saints and the saints are going to be placed into his hand. It's going to look like defeat, but again, the warning here, Daniel's warning is don't be deceived by appearances. This is temporary. It's not ultimate. Right? The defeat is not an ultimate defeat. It is, it is a temporary thing. We are, we are in, his, uh, in the hands of the, of the little horn uh, beast, the man of lawlessness, for a time, times, and half a time. Isn't it clear now? Right? <laughs> Uh, if that, you know, we're not going to get into the debate now about what that means, but I can tell you, but I can tell you one thing it means for certain is that it's a limited amount of time. It's a set amount of time. It's not forever. The idea of time, okay, it starts out pretty strong, grows, times, and then half a time ends and it ends quickly, Right? Um, so don't be deceived by appearances friends it's gonna it's gonna sometimes it's gonna look like we've lost but we haven't um, and friends I, I you know it seems to me look reading Daniel get, getting the sense of these beasts right sort of feeling the truth of, the, of these beasts and their power and the, their potential to harm uh, is, is going to make mask mandates and vaccination orders look like a walk in a park. Um, I think the kind of beastly political power we are seeing on display right now in Ukraine is, is, is a pretty good contemporary demonstration of what Daniel's talking about here. Okay. So that's human political power. 
Uh, it, it's ongoing, it's persistent, uh, it is opposed ultimately to, to, to Jesus. It will uh, cause us to suffer, it will cause some of us to die, uh, but, the, it, but, it is, but, it, but it's, the, the, its victory is, is not ultimate, it's limited. Second point, divine kingdom power. So, right, apocalyptic is, t- is a couple of messages, right? It's, it's the bad news. Here's, here's, what's, here's how these political regimes are going to pose us. But what's, remember the definition of apocalyptic? We look at the, these human political powers and how they are replaced by the kingdom of God. So you get both the harrowing part of this, these, this, all this human political power, this beastly power that opposes you and me, uh, but then you get this, all this hope uh, uh, be, because of the divine kingdom power. Ultimately, apocalyptic is it gives us a theology of hope, right? Confidence, um, victory, peace, ultimate vindication, right? The scene shifts, doesn't it, right? From this, from the sort of the manic, destructive, chaotic uh, power destruction of the, these beasts, these human political systems, we, we, we move into heaven in this vision, right? And, we're, and, and, and what, where, where we are is actually a courtroom. This is a courtroom. It's a courtroom scene. And if you've ever been in a, in a human courtroom, right, one of our courtrooms, you know that those are designed and built and, and, and business is conducted in them in a way to communicate a, a settled dignity and, and gravitas, right? That's how that's, that court, courtrooms do that uh, purposefully. And this is a courtroom, and that's what you, you should be sensing, that there's this, this, there's this kind of settled gravitas here all of a sudden. In the midst of all this beastly nonsense going around, uh, there, there he is, and then, the, and then the judge enters. And the judge is not, not, no one less than the Ancient of Days, right? God the Father. And the way he's described, right, with the throne, the wheels and the fire, and the, uh, it, you're, to, you're to get a sense, you know, feel his glory, his majesty, feel his his what his settled control as he as he comes into the courtroom and he sits on the throne. Right, friends, our our God is on the throne. You look at the headlines, maybe it doesn't look like it. Maybe it doesn't feel like it. Look at what Daniel's showing us. God's on the throne. Now, of course, this is probably what you'd expect, of, you know, looking into heaven. But you also see something that is surprising. You don't expect, certainly Daniel didn't expect to see it. And it, I'm sure it was much more confusing for him than it is for us because we have the benefit of hindsight. What was what surprised him? What was un- unexpected? Well, coming into this courtroom, uh, not isn't just the judge, the Ancient of Days, but coming in riding on a cloud is one quote like a son of man. Now that's just a Hebrew way of saying uh, 
there's, he looks like a human being. One who looks like a human being. Well, he looks like a human being because he is a human being. Right? But the fact that this human being is riding on clouds also communicates just as clearly that he isn't just human, he's God. Because the only cloud rider in scripture is God. All through, you read the Psalms. There are, there are repeated references to the one who rides the clouds and that is God. So you have this human being riding a cloud into this courtroom. Who's that, right? Well, it's Jesus, of course. And Jesus knew it was him. Jesus knew that Daniel had, had received this vision of him. It's why Jesus called himself the son of man. Lifted it right out of Daniel 7. And don't think the Pharisees didn't understand it. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he called himself the son of man. He was proclaiming to be both fully human and fully God. What we're seeing here, it's, it's interesting. It's almost, the courtroom almost becomes a place of coronation. This looks, this is, this is, the, this is the resurrected Jesus coming into the courtroom of heaven to be crowned, to be given a kingdom. And, that's, and he's given a kingdom, see that? Given power, he's given dominion over all people and he's given this forever indestructible kingdom. Now, what I want you to see, and here's what's relevant to us and, and, the, way we are, and the way we are living our lives today, right? It's, it's so easy to live by sight and not by faith, isn't it? And, and what's, what's the reality behind the Son of Man is that he's, he's small. Why? Because he's human. And because he's human, he looks weak. He looks unimpressive. Certainly next to the ancient of days, uh, he, he's not very impressive. And not only is he, you know, just small and human and therefore weak and unimpressive, uh, he's, he's also, for now, invisible. He's not here, he's in heaven. We don't see him, the world doesn't see him. But what do we see? I mean, we see the beasts. Right? The beasts are in our face every day. Right? With all of their military power, political power, economic power. Right? They're in our face. And, 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 and what Daniel is communicating is, look, I understand. You're, you're facing political power that looks big and impressive. It really isn't. It really isn't. And you are worshiping and serving Jesus Christ who might look small, might look unimpressive. In fact, it doesn't, it is invisible right now, but he's really not. He's the fullness of God in a human package. And one day you will see him. One day the world will see him. Our faith will be sight. Daniel's giving us a corrective here, right? He knows we're going to be tempted to, to be, to be kind of cr crushed under the, 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 the terror and the intimidation of these political regimes right in our face. He goes, remember, remember who Jesus is. 
I want you to see the power of God over against these evil kingdoms. Um, Notice that these evil political kingdoms represented by these four beasts only exist because God ordains them. Don't skip over that in verse two. It's what, what, before they rise out of the sea, what, what happens? The four winds of heaven blow, right? It's the four winds of heaven that stir up the sea out of which these political regimes come. God is ordaining these kingdoms, right? They exist because God ordains them to exist. Second, if you look at the description of the beasts closely, um, you, you see that they don't operate independently. They, they aren't free agents. They, that, that God acts on them in order to allow them to act, right? So um, the lion is lifted up. By whom? By God. The, the bear is, is commanded, Right? To, to eat and devour. Who, co- who does the commanding? God. The leopard is given dominion. Who gives it dominion? God does. You see, God is, God is in control of these, all these political regimes. He sets their boundaries. He says you can do this, you can't do that, you can go this far and no further. Right? He's, he's setting their limits. And third and finally, and I just wanted you to notice, and it's, it's brilliantly written, how quickly and easily God dispatches these gigantic, big, and impressive political powers. Right? They just, they're just gone like that. The fourth beast, right? This culminating, horrible beast is just gone like that. It's no contest. Right, look at verse 11. I look then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. He's still talking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. <laughs> That's it. No big cosmic battle, no prolonged battle. It's, you know, it's no, uh, it, it, it's, it is done. He's just, you know, the beast is killed, its body destroyed, it's cremated. And what's, I love the, fact, the, the, the detail that the, the, the little horn this is, is still arrogantly talking even in the courtroom, right? He still hasn't shut up. Uh, and it's kind of like, I was, you saw, you may have seen in the news, the Jussie Smollett uh, sentencing, that actor who was just sentenced a few days ago uh, to, and he w- received fines and jail time and, and he kept on yelling in the courtroom. I, that, that story probably would have been news anyway, but it became bigger news because he was still talking in the courtroom, right? It's just, it's one, it's inappropriate, it's arrogant. Uh, it doesn't respect the power uh, of God, which is, of course, everything that, the, that, 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 that these beasts do, right? They don't respect God. They're arrogant uh, against him, and boom, done, gone, destroyed, cremated, right? God wins. He wins easily. He wins decisively. Uh, he wins ultimately. So implication, friends, hang on, okay? Uh, yeah, w- listen, the world's a mess, the world's a dangerous place, absolutely. 
Keep persevering in your faith, even when it looks like we're losing, even when it looks foolish and weak to the world, because in the end, we're going to be vindicated in a flash. Okay? How do you know this is true? And we'll close with this. What's the guarantee that all this is going to happen? Um, victorious resurrection power. You know, one of the remarkable things about Daniel chapter 7 is a, is a, is a flip that you, 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 you didn't see because we didn't read the second half, but I'll show it to you. It says in verse 14 that as Jesus comes in riding on a cloud that he is, he is given this kingdom, this forever indestructible kingdom, right? Kingdom of peace and power and plenty and, and, and Jesus is given that kingdom. But in Daniel 7, every other reference to that kingdom, after verse 14, where Jesus is given the kingdom, it says that you are given the kingdom. Verse 18, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Verse 22, judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So what is it? Is it who has the kingdom? Does Jesus, is Jesus given the kingdom or are you saints given the kingdom? Answer, yes. Right? And the wonderful news is what? Is that what is true of Jesus, because you have faith in Jesus, because you've leaned your, the weight of your life on Jesus, everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you. Jesus died for your sins. You have died. Jesus was raised to new life. You have been raised. Jesus lived a lawful life. You have his righteousness, right? Jesus is given a kingdom, you're given the kingdom. See, so what, think about that. I mean, if everything true of Jesus is, is true of you, what can the beasts do to us? The worst they can do, right, is kill the body. Jesus recognized that. And he said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Because they can't get your soul. Right? And, and, and the moment they kill the body, you go into the presence of the Son of Man. Uh, and the Ancient uh, of Days. Um, they can't really kill us. Right? Um, we've already died and been raised with Christ Jesus. So friends, in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of all the beasts that we're facing, in China, and Ukraine, and North Korea, and various Muslim nations that are dedicated to uh, destroying uh, Christianity and Christians, uh, you and I can, can, can be absolutely hopeful absolutely confident, absolutely enjoy an inner peace because 
because of the victorious resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus has overcome the world and nothing in all creation, not even the worst beasts, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What better way, what better perspective to read the headlines with, right? Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you. And Lord, as we move through this, I mean, I know we have lots of questions and, and there's lots of mystery here. Um, and, and this is just the first of a series of these night visions, Lord. I pray that as we together kind of work our way through these visions, that you'll, you'll continue to make clear that message that, that uh, despite the danger, despite the, all of the stuff that's in our face, that we win because Jesus has won. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.